This morning, we're going to be continuing on in our message. Uh, we've been going through, we started last week our series in Advent as we're heading towards Christmas. Uh, Advent is a, a series of four messages looking for and anticipating uh, the arrival of Christ, the arrival of his birth, the celebration of his birth. Uh, we started last week with hope. This week is love. Uh, then we have peace and joy coming up as well. And uh, just to kind of let you know we're heading with that. But we're going to be talking about love this morning. Uh, and there's so many different things when it comes to, to love and the way that we talk about love. And people can love products. They can love family and friends and, and everything uh, along that whole thing. And, I, and I've got a little bit uh, of an awkward story from my past to begin with. Uh, and then I'm going to explain like, what that has to do with the message this morning. So uh, my wife and I have, have been married, we're, I think we're heading on to 17 years. I, I can't do the math that quickly in my head anymore. We were married 2016, so yeah, heading, heading on 17 years here. And, and it was a very, very kind of awkward beginning, uh, especially for me. Because um, I had been in some relationships before and I had actually kind of like uh, dedicated a whole year of like fasting relationships. Uh, and so for 12 months, like I, I just I wasn't dating anybody. I wouldn't allow myself to even consider dating anybody. It was like the Lord wanted me to set that time aside in order to kind of trust in him and, and do that. Well, I met her like in month 11, Right. And, and so it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, oh, hello, is like what I'm thinking in my mind. But then I'm automatically like, no, can't, can't do this, you know. Um, and so that uh, 11th month went by. And, uh, and then it was still like really awkward for me because now it was kind of like, well, I'm free, right? Like this, this fasting thing is over. But now do I just jump at the first relationship opportunity that I have? Or do I wait? Like, what do I do with this? And um, the way that God kind of worked it out, actually, using some friends of ours, uh, her best friend and my best friend were getting married. And they were having a stand-up together in the wedding. Uh, and so we were kind of forced to, like, do some stuff together he heading towards that wedding anyway. So we kept, you know, interacting with each other and hanging out and, you know, working on wedding decorations and, and stuff like that. And, and, and she was cruel. <laughs> well, because I remember one time we were sitting there and we're watching a movie um, at our friend's house. And um, we're working on some Christmas decorations and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of like wrestling through, like, should I pursue this relationship or not? And, and Angie, and this is a true story, and she's just like, hey, Josh, you want a date? And I'm like, what? She's like, you want a date? And I turn around, and she's holding out a date in her hand. <laughs> right? Cruel. Cruel. And so, like, my heart's pounding and all this stuff. And so after a few situations like that, I, I finally work up a courage enough um, to ask for her email, <laughs> which is terrible. Like, I was just like, yeah, can I have your email? And, and she was like, no, I really don't have email, but you can have my phone number. Uh, and so she gives me her phone number, uh, and I wait like that obligatory, what, two, three days, you know, not to seem too, whatever that is, right? I, yeah. But I wait for a time that I know that she's supposed to be at work. Right? So, so my whole plan was, again, very, very awkward. Uh, my whole plan was to leave her just a voicemail like, oh, hey, sorry I missed you. Like, here's my number. Give me a call back when you get a chance. Now the ball's in her court, right? 
So I've got actually this whole thing that I'm going to say like written down on a piece of paper. And, and I'm calling her while she's supposed to be at work so then I can read off the piece of the paper, you know, and, and be all set. And uh, she answers. And for whatever reason, she didn't go into work that day. You know, so I'm sitting there like, ah, that, uh, uh, hi, <laughs> you know. Uh, anyways, you know, a couple months, you know, go by of kind of this awkward, like, talking but not really dating. And we get to a point where uh, we're at Perkins uh, in Marshfield when Perkins still existed. Uh, but we're sitting at Perkins uh, in Marshfield, and we're kind of having this conversation. And I'd asked her there, and um, this whole conversation was, like, leading me into, like, trying to, like, ask her out, you know, like, actually dating. And it all worked up to this really, really awkward statement of, uh, would you consider the idea of possibly praying about whether or not God would be interested in us possibly dating? <laughs> like, like putting as much caveat into that as much as I could, and I'm just, and she's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, sure to what part? The, the praying about like being in a relationship part or, or the actual being in the relationship? She's like, yeah, no, dating. And I said, okay, could you excuse me? And I went to the bathroom and I was sweating so much. And I'm just like using up all these paper towels to like wipe all this sweat off my face in, in order to like go back out. And now like, now I'm dating and like, Anyways, really, really, really awkward. And, and so I'm telling this uh, for a reason. Um, that continues on for a little while. I get to the point where I propose, um, and I propose to her, and, and she accepts, and then she gives me a gift. And, and the gift that she gives me is a box of letters uh, that she had been writing to her future husband for a while. And uh, so it was one of those things where it's like, dear future husband, you know, I'm listening to this. What are you listening to? You know, kind of the cheesy dear future husband kind of things. Um, but it was one of the things that she felt like the Lord wanted her to actively do while waiting for her, for God to bring her a husband. However, what happened was at some point before she ever met me and we started hanging out, she, she knew about me because her best friend had kind of been telling her about me and everything. And Angie can tell this story better than I can, and it's worth hearing at some point. But before we ever met, and this is before Facebook, this is before MySpace was really a thing, uh, and so you couldn't Facebook stalk and like, you know, what are their likes, what do they look like, like all these things. Um, she felt like the Lord had told her that she was going to marry me. And so she knew of me, she knew about me, but we never physically met. And so she then at that point, and there's a date in these letters, before we ever started really hanging out and getting to know each other, before we started dating, these letters shifted to Dear Joshua. And she started writing to me. And, I, and I've got these letters during this time. She felt convicted and led by the Lord that we would eventually marry. And so I tell this story um, one, because it's just a really cool God thing when you're, when you're trusting God for uh, relationships and, and stuff like this. And, and when you have those kinds of stories, like that's been a rock in our relationship when everything's, it, it's been a rock to stand on when things get shaky at times because we know that he's brought us together. But what's also really interesting is all of my awkwardness 
and all of my ineptitude at, do you want to consider the possibility of praying about whether or not God might potentially have us, right? Like, I'm sitting here, and I'm saying to this, to her and Perkins, sweating bullets about whether or not she's going to say yes, and she's sitting over there across from this table saying, I've already decided. We're, God's told me we're getting married. You could propose to me. Like, like that's where she was at, right? Like, that's how God worked this out. My, my whole, like, can I have your email? Like, like, all of that ineptitude. So I bring all of this up because we're coming into a, a topic here this morning on the idea of God's love for us. And I am awkward and incapable of fully presenting how much God loves you. I, I can't do it. Like, I, even if I get up here and I can smooth through this without any ums, ahs, and stumbling or, or whatever, I, because of my imperfections and my own imperfect way of, of grasping God's love for me, like, within my own strength, I don't have the ability to fully present how much God loves you to you this morning. But I tell this story about my wife and I because there is no way any woman should have been, you know, when I'm sitting there wearing like my wolf, three wolf t-shirt and like, would you consider the possibility of maybe, right? Like, there's no way somebody like Angie, a woman like Angie, would ever necessarily, within her own strength, it's totally God, right? <laughs> totally God. And, and I'm so grateful for that, but it's a lesson that I've learned that, that God has things for us, and we pursue them imperfectly, and he miraculously brings them into being. And so that's what I'm really trusting for this morning is I'm going to imperfectly pursue presenting his love that he has for you. And, and I'm going to pray here before we get into this, and I've got one more story. Um, but I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit really works within each one of us and that for each of you there is a revelation of his love for you this morning. Uh, and I want you to join me in faith in that prayer as well. Uh, Father, we come before you. And Lord, we are so thankful um, of your grace and your mercy and your kindness and goodness and love and joy in us and for us, that you dance over us, that you sing over us with loud shouts of exaltation, that you know how many hairs are on our heads, that you knew us in our mother's womb even as we were forming, that you have prepared good works for us before the foundation of the world, that you are the potter and we are the clay as you mold us and care for us, that you are the good shepherd that loves, cares, and directs us, and you come pursuing after us if we stray. Lord, we come this morning as a church to meditate on, to reflect upon, and learn of your love for us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what my words could not do, and that would be to ignite, inflame, and set ablaze our hearts for you and our understanding of your great love for us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one more story, and then we'll get into some verses here. Uh, as I was doing a, a similar message a number of years ago, um, I asked Eliana, who's, who's our daughter, uh, and she is going on 
Wow, 12 now? She's getting too close to being a teenager, um, which is a whole scary thing in and of itself. But so when she was six, six or seven years old, uh, much younger, I asked her a question as I was working on a message like this. And, and my question was, Eliana, why do you love me? And, and there really wasn't any hesitation on her part. Her immediate response was, uh, because you're my daddy. And it just kind of struck me, right? Like, there, there's no other, like, reasoning at all. It's just, I love you because you're my daddy. And so I said, well, well what do you mean about that? Why, why do you say that? And her response was, well, you take care of me, you love me, you help me to do fun things, you snuggle with me, you have fun with me. And then she just, at the end, she wrapped it all up by saying, you're my daddy. It's like all of these other things are just like subcategories into this overarching theme of you're my daddy. And, and so I, I love you. And so it really got me thinking, um, about that and, and just that, that simplistic understanding of, of a child and her response was, I just love you because you're my daddy. Um, but for that to happen, I had to love her, right? Like, like kind of the list that she went through of you take care of me, you love me, you help me to do fun things, you snuggle with me. Like, like all of these things were, were her experience of me loving her and so because she had that experience, then, then that grew, that developed like this love for me that just was simply defined as, uh, you're my daddy. I had to love her first. As soon as we knew that we were going to have her, this love within me had started to grow. As soon as I saw her, I wanted to care for her, protect her, provide for her, wanted to, to love her. And, and all of this, even though that, that she cried out for food, cleaning, and comfort, Right? Like, like there's something in this that reflects the heart of God. And, and we're kind of mixing metaphors both ways here because I believe God has designed it to be this way. Um, I love my daughter first and caring and providing for her. And, and so therefore she developed this love for me. But, but also this, this sacrificial love because a child, especially an infant, is possibly the most needy person on the planet. Everything has to be done for them, right? Like, okay, we're going to head on a car ride, and it's 20 below out, so we got to put the socks on, we got to put the thick pants on, and, and not cooperative, right? Like, here, honey, can I hold out your jacket for you? And somebody else, like, slips their arms in. For, no, this is like, let me stuff your arm in there. and Like, like everything has to be done, right? And, and then you get them all bundled up, and then, blah, <laughs> right? And, and now there's like baby spit up over everything. And so you got to take everything off again. And then you got to put it all back on again. Right? And how many times, you know, as a parent, when you have plans to go someplace and then the kid is sick or the kid's upset or like all of these different things. And if God didn't instill love in us for our children, uh, I think it might be difficult sometimes, right? With all of the that neediness and the crying out for attention and crying out for comfort and crying out for food and crying out for bottoms to be wiped and all of those things. 
But, but God has instilled such love within us for our children that we, we do that out of a desire and a sacrificial sense of, of providing for. And, and in that, we're reflecting the Father's love towards our child. And as that happens, that love is then grown within them where it's almost this instinctive, I love you because you're my daddy. Anyways, this all kinds of wraps up uh, into this. And again, there's different considerations. And one of the difficult things for us to understand God's love for us is somehow that dynamic between parents and children uh, can be distorted uh, through betrayal, through uh, abuse, through you know, parents who are not there or neglective. Or, like, let's just set all those things aside so that we can grasp this, this truth of God's Love and him being the perfect example of a parent. But this idea of her response is, she loves me because I'm her daddy. And she's saying that because of the love I've poured out to her. Reminds me of 1 John 4, verse 19, where it says, uh, we love because he first loved us. And so we love God. We, we know what love is because we've been shown love as what we're seeing here in Scripture. Uh, again, in chapter 4 of 1 John, a little bit earlier, it says this. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed amongst us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I like there's the whole illustration of this is, is an infant that is a few weeks old, capable of understanding the concept and even knowing the emotion of love and then choosing to show that. At that point, it's much more of a, a desire for need and receiving comfort at that point. And yet, we as parents will show that love and show that concern and care as a reflection of this passage. Just as an infant isn't able to understand what love is, just as in our sins and trespasses before Christ, before knowing Him, before coming to salvation, we were unable to love God because we were all concerned about our own needs, our own desires, and what we wanted to do with our own life, just like little infants. I want to eat this, so I cry. In our sins before Christ, we wanted to do this, we wanted to do that. We were masters of our own universe, lords within our own worlds, and, and would pursue whatever we wanted to pursue and what we considered to be the most valuable within our life. And even though we were in that state of being dead in our sins, in our trespasses, Ephesians 2 says this, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you previously lived, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We all, too, previously lived amongst them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. 
You are saved by grace. And so even this aspect of him first loving us, even though we were in a state of rebellion, even though we were in a state of separation from him, running away from him, perhaps even being angry at him, not liking him, avoiding him, talking bad about him, like regardless of where we were in that, he still pursued us in his great love and made us alive with Christ as we came to understanding Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as he revealed himself to us and worked within us in that. Again, they were saved by grace. The passage continues on in verses 8, 9, and 10 where we're saved by grace um, through faith and not by works so that no one can boast, but through grace alone. It is this gift of love that he gave to us first that then he calls out a response. There's a passage within Ezekiel uh, referring to the nation of Israel that I think also applies to us, and I forgot to put it up here, but, but he's, he's describing rescuing Israel and, and loving on them as though he was walking through a field and found an abandoned baby. And finding that abandoned baby picked them up, washed them off, clothed them, raised them, loved on them, all of those things. It's the same with us in our separation from God because of sin. We were abandoned to this world and abandoned to sin and lost and without hope. And yet in his love, he came in order to rescue us, to clean us up, to clothe us, and then work within us as we grow into him in maturity. The greatest aspect of God's love is even revealed through his life and death on the cross. John 15, verse 13. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And so this is the ultimate expression of love. The, the ultimate thing that could be done to express love to another person. And God has done that for each and every person within this room. We look at these passages and this is the truth spoken by the God who spoke all things into existence. It is as real and as true as the wood that is holding up this podium. He spoke trees into existence out of nothing. Through his words it was established as true and it is solid in front of me. Through that same power and that same authority, he is saying within these passages that his love is revealed to us through his death on the cross and that he loved us while we were dead in our sins and trespasses and through his love and his grace has redeemed us. That he says that he wants to be our Abba, to be our daddy. That he calls us friends. That he says that he washes our sins as white as snow. That he takes our trespasses and removes them as far as the east is from the west. Like all of these statements he is making with the same word and same authority as what spoke this wood into existence. The air that we breathe and the sun that is coming through this. It is as true as each one of those things. And yet we struggle at times to accept this and to receive it and to live within it. Well, there's a couple of reasons why we're going to go through some of those. And I go through these things because they may be areas within your life to begin praying for healing for or for correction in. 
The first one is that oftentimes we begin to compare the idea of God's love to love that we experience with imperfect earthly families. We talked about this before, but because of wounds and trauma uh, and what love looks like or feels like, we can be angry when it comes to relationships that we have with one another, with our own family, perhaps with our parents or children. We can have anger within those areas because of the imperfection of being raised by imperfect parents or even our own imperfect children. Results in anger. Accepting anger is part of you. And in that, anger towards our relationships with God. It can infiltrate that if we allow that comparison to come in. It can also result in always trying to seek out uh, or finding love within relationships. So if we've grown up in a way where we weren't loved the way that God has designed families to love one another, it can create a void within us through some of these wounds. And we try and fill that void by seeking out relationship after relationship after relationship, feeling like we always need somebody or need somebody's approval. Perhaps instead of seeking out different relationships, this creates a a sense of numbness or a hard exterior in in trying to protect ourselves from the pain of imperfect relationships. And then we do the same thing with God. We harden ourselves. We numb ourselves. We try and avoid anything of intimacy with Him or pursuing intimacy with Him because of this fear. This hard thing can uh, cause us to offhandedly reject verses where it says that he sings over us and dances over us. That he calls us friend. That he calls us his treasured possessions. That he died for you. And that your sins truly are forgiven. It can be hard to accept those things if we have a hardened heart in order to protect us from wounds that have happened within our life. And those might be things to be praying about that God would bring healing to or to go to the prayer team today and ask for healing in those areas. The good news is, is that he pursues us even past those wounds in order to bring healing. Another area, the second area that can cause us to, to struggle to receive God's love at times are our feelings of shame or condemnation that make us feel unworthy. We covered this in a series a little while ago, and you want more details, you can look into that or uh, that book uh, that we were kind of referencing through all of that. Anybody remember what the book's name was again? I can't Search for Significance. Thank you very much. Um, has to do with some of these things. But the feelings of shame or condemnation uh, can make us feel like we're not lovable. Or or that if we make a mistake and we fall into a sin or we fall into a temptation, that it can cause us to to feel distant from God or or that He is disappointed in us or, or that He is frustrated with us. All of those things are reflections from from our relationships with our earthly parents, right? Because what happens when we're a kid? And we're a kid and, you know, we're told, okay, here's the cookies. Don't get into the cookies. If you get into the cookies, you're going to have a timeout. And and then you go and you sneak a couple cookies and then, you know, you see your parents' face and they're either angry or however your parents responded. It can be happening in so many different ways. 
can be angry, could be their face, could be their words, could be condemning you or shaming you or having you go into you know, a different room. It could be the, the stories that we hear where parents catch their kids having a cigarette. All right, well, here's a whole pack, right? And, and like all of these different things that imperfect parents do to try and teach or discipline their children, and, and it results in this feeling of when we mess up before God, we can imprint those same feelings of, of God saying, well, you need a timeout now. Or no, you deserve punishment. Or you deserve the bad things that are happening to you. Or I'm disappointed in you. Or I'm frustrated with you. Or I'm annoyed with you. Or whatever those things are. Those things can reflect and transmit from our relationships. That, that we're not lovable. That our mistakes are too great. That, that we're too broken. And it results in being hard to accept the truth that God declares about us. That we are His. That we are redeemed. That we are washed white. That we are His adopted children. That, that He lavishes upon that he cherishes, that he's looking forward to spending time with, that he actually forgives and does not keep a record of our wrongdoing when it's covered by the blood of Christ. All of these things are true. And yet, depending on how we are raised or how we feel about our mistakes, that can infiltrate the way that we receive God's love might be something for you to be praying about that God brings healing to, revelation in, a, a deeper understanding of his great love and the cleansing work of Jesus' blood. As you here today, I encourage you again, receive prayer. Talk to somebody else. Head back to the prayer team. Go to a friend. Go to a family member. Ask for prayer in these things. The third thing is uh, that we sometimes are too distracted or rather blinded by our own desires to see God's love even though it's there. And, and this again is kind of a, a story that I recognize uh, from my own childhood. And, and again, I can look back and I can remember my parents taking care of me. There's a couple uh, different memories that are really, really vivid for me. Um, one of them is... Uh, was younger, probably seven, eight years old, something like that. One of the things we used to do, and again, before streaming services and whatever, so, so you had to watch a show on the particular time every week, and if you missed it, you missed that episode, and you don't know what's happening, right? Uh, and so we would watch Star Trek um, every week. And it was like a family thing, like we're going to sit and we're going to watch Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, and so we're going to be watching that, and I was so sick. Like, like, this is one of those ice cream pail, you know, gallon ice cream pail, like throw up situations where, you know, you're kind of sitting there and watching the show and just waiting for, you know, everything to come up and I'd be throwing up. And, and, and my parents would, that moment, even though the episode's going and there's no pause button because this is all coming through an antenna, there's no streaming, there's, there's no TiVo at this point. And, and they would take care of me. They'd stop washing the episode. They would take care of the bucket. They would get me another bucket. My mom would take Sprite, and, and so it wouldn't be too harsh on my stomach. She would take a little fork and, like, whip the bubbles out of the Sprite a little bit for me. And, and, and just this care and this love for me growing up. I remember another one with my dad. And uh, I was in elementary school as part of the safety patrol. I was, like, really excited when I got that orange belt with the badge. 
And, and so this is like a day after school that I had biked there. And, um, you know, because you're, you're always last, you're helping the other kids cross as they're leaving. And, and this like torrential downpour just started like flooding everything to the point where I, I couldn't even ride my bike. Like it was a five minute bike ride from the school to my house. But like it was so heavy, I couldn't even ride my bike. And, and I just remember it being cold and I'm pushing my bike uh, on my way home. And, and my dad just showing up out of nowhere and, and finding me. And again, there's like, no, like, find my phone. Where's my son right now? Let me track him down. Like, like he was driving back and forth on my different routes to school in order to find me, in order to bring out an umbrella, help get the bike in. He got soaked. And just his love and care for me in that situation that was difficult. But at the same time, I remember as a child and as a young teenager, nights in my room, angry and crying and upset because I really, really, really was convinced they didn't love me. Because I didn't get what I wanted. Not because they did something to hurt me, but because I didn't get the bike that I wanted. Or my friends were having a sleepover and I couldn't go because I made a mistake and I was grounded. And yet I was angry with them because of that. Because I didn't get what I wanted. My perception was they don't love me. But the truth the entire time was it's love, it's care, it's concern. And even the discipline when I made mistakes was love so that I would grow and that I would learn. And in my perspective, in that moment as an adolescent, I was just so convinced and so angry with them that I allowed my circumstance to skew my perspective and so I didn't perceive their love for me. We do the same thing with God at times. His love has been established for us from before the foundation of the world. It has been revealed through his death on the cross for us. It has been revealed that he loved us first so that we love him. It's been revealed in his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. It's been revealed in all of those things on top of it of his pursuing us and wanting us to be friends, calling us friends. His pursuit of the church is that of a, a groom for his bride. Is that of a lover passionately pursuing and desiring us. That's been the truth that he's revealed to us from the beginning of creation down to this day. But at times, because we get frustrated, because we don't get things the way that we would like them to be, our life doesn't go the way we would like our life to go, we don't get the answers to prayers that we want, or we can't go out and do everything that we want to do, or, or even because he disciplines us. If we are selfish, and if we have our self-focus only on our own desires, on our own wants, and how we feel, it can blind us to the truth that has been communicated since the beginning of creation, that God loves us, that he pursues us, that he desires us, he treasures us, he cares for us, and lavishes upon us. It's something that we ought to be praying about, that the Holy Spirit reveal areas within our own life that cause blindness, 
that selfishness is there so that we don't feel God's love. And it's really because of what's going on within us instead of something that's actually happened to us. We need to be praying for these things because sometimes His grace and His mercy, He reveals it afresh and new. And I want to pray for that here today. It's a part of, of David's prayer in Psalm 51 where, where he is saying, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. This verse, uh, I, there's songs about it, right? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I'm not going to try and sing it because then we'll have like the red X's judging from your side uh, if that's the case. But what's to take of note in this passage, in Psalm 51, this is written in David's response upon the conviction of what happened with Bathsheba and Bathsheba's husband, where he committed adultery and then conspired to have her husband killed so that it wouldn't be revealed. He's convicted by that, and part of his prayer in this is praying out to God, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And I think it's important to know the context of this psalm. Because again, what is David called? A man after God's own heart. We clearly know of God's love for David, right? And so if David did this heinous thing, this crime, and his response is this, praying for this restoration of joy and understanding of God's love in salvation. If his prayer is this, and we know God answers this prayer, and we see how many more psalms of David singing out and rejoicing in God's love. We see that God answered this prayer. What that tells me is that regardless of where I'm at today, regardless of where you're at today, this is a prayer that God answers. And so if you're struggling in any of these areas or any other area to, to understand God's love for you, to, to receive his love for you, to know it and to have joy in it, this is a prayer that we can pray together that he would restore the joy of salvation and sustain us by a willing spirit. The Holy Spirit can miraculously do this. As we pray for Him to work in that miracle within us, at the same time, there are things that we can actively pursue ourselves in order to see this joy. We look back in the story of, of me and my daughter Eliana. Why do you love me, Ellie? Because you're my daddy. And all of these different things, then she said, you take care of me, you love me, you help me to do fun things, you snuggle with me, you have fun with me, you're my daddy. And so as she reflected on it, she, she looked at all of the different things that I had done to show her love. We can do the same thing. We can sit there and say, if God is our daddy, what has he done for us? Philippians 2 says to meditate on whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is holy, whatever is pure. Meditate upon these things and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will be yours. The order is a little off there, but it's all together within that passage. We can meditate on what he's done for us. We can practice gratitude and thankfulness for what God has already done. We can remind ourselves and remind others that John 15, 13 says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. 
the greatest love ever revealed was poured out for you. Because he wanted you to be with him for all eternity. His death on the cross was his engagement ring to the church, to you. Father, we come before you. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to work miraculously in our lives. There's so many things that Satan has conspired to do in our lives here on earth that would create distortions and distractions and to prevent us from truly seeing, understanding, and even accepting your love for us. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness when our own selfishness and our own self-focus can distract us and make us angry at you or feel that we're not loved because we don't get what we want. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, would your Holy Spirit power past all of those? Would it burn through every distraction? Would it dissolve every barricade, every hardening of heart? Would it be a healing salve to the wounds and traumas of our past? Would your love be such a revelation to us this morning that it would be impossible to compare it to any earthly love that we've experienced, whether good or evil. Lord, I pray that your love would be such a light to us in this season that we would even tangibly feel the warmth of it as you reveal it to us. You reveal it to us in reminders of your death on the cross. You reveal it to us in reminders of everything that you have done and the way that you've pursued us and the way that you forgive us and the way that you wash us white as snow. And it's revealed to us in our favorite pie. And that your love made it taste good. May we taste your love in everything this season. And may it carry us through every darkness that we may face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, also, I pray that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Renew it within us. And give us a willing spirit as we pursue after you. Guide us this morning as we worship and whatever else you may have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.